The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Fuck the police. <sighs> Look, would so you rather have him say something or some of the things that was going through my mind? I mean, yeah, I don't think fair, we want that. Some of the pre-conversation here wouldn't have ended up so well on the air anyway, so it really doesn't matter now, does it? Nope. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Nick. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate that. And welcome to the kickoff NFL Draft Preview Edition here on the W2M Network, online at W2Mnet.com. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the executive producer turned co-host, Eric Watkins. You know, if they really wanted to make this a full fantasy draft style, why don't they just make it 90 seconds per pick? No, if they wanted to make this actual fantasy draft style with most of the drafts that some of my friends have been involved with, you'd have to shotgun a beer before every pick. Fair. Fair. Would, Done that with yellow It would explain a lot of the teams that I've ended up playing against over the years. <laughs> the co-host turned executive producer, Brandon Biscabing. Yeah, this is going to be probably the weirdest and most interesting draft we've ever seen. And the potential partial owner, dot, 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 Jason Teasley? Hey, yeah, I'm going to be the Tony Khan of W2M. He'll be a player coach. It happens. That's what happens. Look at Tommy Rooney. Tommy Jackie Moon. Oh, Jesus, a semi-pro reference. Hey, 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 hey. Gotta love me, sexy. I preferred it when you were here so just so you didn't get fined. <laughs> yeah. Look, if he could but he can't quite use that because what use would there be in Westworld for someone like Jason? No offense. <laughs> also, so here, I already got Kathy Black on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> And the reason that we have all gathered here this evening is to tell you about the wonders of the... Sorry, went went full-on preacher mode there for a second. The reason we've gathered here this evening is to get you ready for this Thursday night's first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Yes, it's still a thing that's happening. It's happening digitally. Deal with it. All right, so... First, let me go around the horn here and get your guys' thoughts on this. Uh, Eric, what do you make of the um, the electronic draft here? Are you for it? Are you against it? Do you think it takes away some of these players' moments to have this kind of a situation? Or do you think it's, given the current circumstances, the best that we could ask for? I'm honestly leaning towards the best that we could ask for, something being better than nothing. And I would like to see, you know, how those that work with EA and all of the digital recreators could make up like with some of these moments, especially replicating the fountains in front of the Bellagio. So I understand. Plus they apparently ran at least a mock draft to make sure the system is right. However, I am setting the over under at uh, five internet related mishaps during the first round. So there's that, but 
Is that uh, is that a real thing, by the way? Probably. I mean, if you check, I Walmart certainly Auto, hope so. I haven't had a chance to do yet. I'm sure it will be. Hmm. Sassafras. <laughs> there's so much Belarusian soccer that you can bet on anymore. Jason, your thoughts on the electronic draft format? I think it's going to be... I, I actually think it's going to be kind of cool. I mean, um, you're, you're not going to have the the broken heart of uh, Tua where as he continuously falls like an anchor through the first round and doesn't get drafted until the second round. You won't have... You know, he won't have to live that personally through, you know, live television and, you know, they can cut to him when he gets drafted in the second round on Friday. Uh, but I think it's going to kind of change how that draft is done. Uh, I'm just curious how a lot of the prospective first rounders with a lot of the talks of trades and stuff that's going to go down. How are they going to know what jersey to present? I mean, do you just have all 32 teams on hand at every everyone's house? My official guess for this, and I'm going to throw this out there, is that they show the person, the person takes a picture, and then they digitally manipulate the jersey onto the person in post. Because it would be a lot easier than what the WNBA did by having a lot of the star players just send them a package of all 12 WNBA hats. So, yeah, Photoshoppers, this is your wet dream. Brandon, what do you make of the all-digital draft? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with Eric. You know, it's, it's the best. I agree with both of your questions. Yes, Unfortunately, it means the players miss out on that opportunity of going up on the stage, shaking Goodell's hand, and all of that. You you lose a lot of the pomp and pomp and circumstance of uh, of the draft, but it's the it's the best of a of a very bad situation. The NFL is trying to do its best to move forward. They've got the draft instead of having to push it back. Um, you know, they're just pushing ahead doing the best they can to get it continuing to go. And I do agree with Eric, though, and I'm curious to know and to see what the NFL has up their sleeves in terms of contingency plans in case things do happen. But yeah, with with just the sheer amount of, you know, everyone doing everything all at once and, and all of that, yeah, there's going to be some glitches. There's going to be some bugs. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the NFL handles that. Um, I have a question for you guys uh, in, in, a, in, in a little bit. Um, I don't know if you want to wait until now or later on for me to ask, though. Well, I have a couple of more draft-related questions. Well, we it's, a, it's a draft-related question. But, I mean, I have a couple of more non-specific player questions oh, okay. to ask before, okay. we get in, before we get into player draft. Okay. Um, Eric, 
we've seen yeah. a we've seen a trend recently of teams either stockpiling picks in the first round, i.e., Miami this year, or teams trading their first round pick in order to pick up a superstar player, like Buffalo did when we were talking. We loosely talked about it last week with the Stephon Diggs trade, where Buffalo mm-hmm. sent a, a first, a fourth, and next, and then seventh next year to Minnesota for Stephon Diggs. Which one of those strategies do you find tends to be more fruitful in the long term? Do you think it's easier to stockpile first-round picks, or would you rather go for that superstar that gives you the opportunity to win now rather than that player that you may have to wait a couple of years to develop if it does develop at all? Well, personally, I am more of a mindset of winning now. And the reason why... Yes, you may go ahead and get some great star players those first couple of rounds, but you'll have to wait and wait until they develop. The time that they're set to develop, what's going to happen? If they really develop and break out, you're going to have to pay them. Then by the time that you've got everything set in place to really get that championship and pay them, you're not going to be able to do that. Someone will have to go. You're going to be dealing with some sort of cap bill. Whereas if you trade those picks, knowing that you, you can get these stars win now and then build around some of those specific more role player types, and then you set yourself up comfortably for a couple of years, then you can look to rebuild after that. That ends up much better. Jason, same question. Win now approach by trading your picks or save and develop for later talent down the road? Uh, in this draft, I'm going to develop. This draft is super deep at uh, a receiver and um, offensive defensive line. Uh, not so much running back and quarterback, but if you're a team that is basically a dumpster fire, i.e. Miami, uh, this gives you the perfect opportunity to get a huge base where you can uh, get some free agents that want to come play for you and you can build around a young core like Miami's uh, rumored to be doing. Uh, I'm trying to think who the other team uh, has like a ton of first round picks. I think, uh, Is it Cincinnati? I think Cincinnati. Yeah, I was going to say. Few- yeah, I think Cincinnati has a, has like two. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and doesn't uh, Las Vegas have two as well? Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say uh, due to the. I, to I know Matt, they have Chicago's. Yeah, I was gonna say. I I know they have Chicago's. Yeah, and so, Jackson uh, also has two. Yeah, so I, I think I think I would rather. Build now so you can attract uh, players later. Uh, especially, like I said, you're going to have a, uh, a deep um, O-line and these defensive side of the ball plus receivers uh, draft this year. So, I mean, a lot of teams are going to be able to fill some key positions uh, where they can, once they get a established base, they can start pulling pulling superstars of uh, the future in rather than trying to win now and shorten that window to win. 
Brandon, same question. Do you go with win now by trading your picks, the, the picks that you have in the current draft, or do you stockpile these picks by getting rid of established players that you either can no longer afford or no longer fit your system? I think it all depends upon the situation the team is in. If it's a situation you know, where you think you're just one piece away from either a Super Bowl or at the very least a deep run in the playoffs, then yeah, you trade you know, a pick or two away to get that one piece. But if you're a team like a Miami, like a Cincinnati, um, you know, like in Oakland where, you know, you're in more of a rebuilding stage, then I would say keep your picks, get those picks, and then later on, maybe when when you're trying to, you know, make that final jump, to becoming a better team, then you move to the other side. I think it's very much, it's very situational. Um, this actually leads me into the question that I was going to ask, so I'll just ask it real quick. Do you guys think that because of the system that they have in place, with it being all digital, and the potential of issues as a result, do you think we're going to see fewer tr- fewer trades of draft picks or of players for draft picks during the draft than we have in years past? I actually think we'll see more trades this year than we have in previous years because of the fact that because of the fact that the coaches and the general managers and everybody are already going to be on a digital format communicating with each other in order to make their selections. So you're going to see a lot more a lot more real time flow in terms of how the draft board maneuvers and manipulates. Fair enough. Eric? Eric. Eric? Did we lose Eric? I had to put, oh, had had to put myself on mute oh, because okay. I had to step away. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Answer the question now. Which question? I just missed uh, this latest question. Yeah, I asked, do you think there will be more or fewer trades during the draft as a result of the fact that it's digital? Fewer. With the logistics of the fact that it's not really as much in person where you know, hey, you could get this done. Hey, you have this window. Less or fewer teams are going to want to take the risk of having to either send it an email or announce this, or depending on internet connection and bandwidth, knowing that they're on that still clock. So it's not going to be as active as it has been the past few years. Jason. Present. Answer. I think it's. I, I, I was. <laughs> I'm your tits. Negative four. Uh, I, I no, think, just one of them. Everyone's entitled to one party tit. Go on. I think it's going to be. I think you're going to see more because you're going to have that urgency of need to get deals done before teams get cold feet. You're going to see phones being worked more. You're going to see uh, Skype, Zoom, uh, teleconferences. You're going to see that a lot more this this year, trying to get stuff done rather than you know waiting to the last minute. Uh, uh, you know, teams taking that full clock. I think you're going to have a lot of trades 
uh, that's going to be worked out in principle prior to um, draft day. Uh, one in particular that I have that you guys know that I've predicted uh, so far and um, even made a little wager on it, uh, waiting for that still to be accepted. So since it was not verbally accepted, I'm going to go ahead and accept the offer and uh, you're, you're, you're off the clock. So the trade was, the wager was accepted. So, uh, so when that trade happens, uh, you can just call me boss man. And no, I don't mean Big Bubba Rogers. Are you our guardian angel? That's a reference like three people will get. You, I will be the guardian angel, but also, you know, I will be a, I will be a bodyguard that uh, that gets hanged. That helps you. He lost. That helps you. He lost. That helps you at Jim Crocker Promotions break both ankles. <laughs> well, Jim Cornette Promotions break both ankles <laughs> in his instance. Goddamn fucking scaffold. <laughs> That's just something to wrestle with for a bunch of people that listen to that show, that listen to that one. I think I pop- I know I popped one of you. I think it was Brandon. Yeah, that was me. Um, so uh, apparently we're tied then because I agree with Eric. I think... Uh, unless they're able to do what Jason is talking about and get deals done ahead of time, I think there's going to be a lot fewer on-the-spot trades because of the uncertainty and the risk of something technical going wrong. Not to mention, if they're still using Zoom after all of this, I vote we find a way to Zoom bomb the hell out of them and really make their picks for them. In the second round, the Buffalo Bills select Rodrigo Blankenship, kicker, Georgia. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you motherfuckers! <laughs> Joke's on you guys, actually, though. I, I think Rodrigo's going to have a solid NFL career. All right, so... Oh, we mean, not, like, highly, such highly drafted kickers, like, with the last name of Guayo? As long as he doesn't tear his ACL celebrating a field goal, I'll be happy. <laughs> Different, guy. That was one of the Grammatica brothers. Martin, if I remember correctly. No, wait, it was Bill. <laughs> Hashtag for the brand. All right, so we're not going to go pick by pick for the entire first round because that would be A, time-consuming, and B, a major league crapshoot. I think we can all agree. I think the cat is out of the proverbial bag here. Everybody knows who Cincinnati's taking number one. Mm -hmm. It's going Mm -hmm. to be Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. Well, Uh, I'm not going to say Cincinnati has that number one pick. uh, Unless they do a total (laughs) swerve like, uh, what was it, a couple of years ago, everyone was saying that there was a quarterback that – that was going to be the the shoe in number one pick, and then the team drafted someone completely different. Yeah, yeah. Anybody ever see a lake catch fire? That's what's going to happen with Cincinnati if they don't get Burrow. Trust me. The they're dealing nah, with their- I, my prediction. My prediction is that they trade out of the one and stockpile more picks to help them. 
And I say Burrow goes number one, but I don't think it's going to be the Cincinnati. Okay, Mr. Prediction Man, who do you think Cincinnati trades with? Uh, the Miami Dolphins. What, do they stock? Do they package all three first-round picks for the number one pick? I think it's yeah. going to be two first. I won't think it's going to be two first this year at a potential uh, potential uh, pick next. I think it's going to be a three-pick deal for the number one for them to move back, move back and get one of the later first rounds this year and a, a proverbial first next year. I'm going to say it's probably either going to be a first or second next year. Uh, I'm a little bit curious about that, especially – from what I've been hearing, not just in relation to Tua, but for who Miami is thinking in particular. I thought, well, I think the big question in terms of that, and I remember I saw a report earlier this week uh, mention something about it. I forget whether they said they were able to get him in in time or not, but I know Miami mm-hmm. was trying to get Tua to come in for a physical before everything hit the fan. And I forget that if... Is... Go ahead. No, I was saying that's true. But what I've also heard even as recently as today, that not only has Tua been taking off of three teams' draft boards, now the Dolphins are switching gears and are more leaning towards Justin Herbert. Hmm. I've well, heard that's what Justin I, Herbert thing is. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw I saw earlier this saw week that Justin Brandon. Herbert was jumping up the boards as well. But what I'm thinking is, if they were able to get, and what you're saying leads me to believe that something may have been may have come out about Tua, but mm-hmm. but if the reports. Go ahead, Harry. Real quick here, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll chime in with that. The reports are is that Tua has another injury that wasn't previously disclosed that has come to light. Oh, okay. And previous injuries and and I even said I understand how some teams really overrate this, but with the injury history and everything else, a lower Wonderlick score hurts. Mm. But. I don't, I'm telling you. I don't dislike We'll go, we'll go through this here shortly. I don't dislike Tagovailoa. We might as well start talking individual players now because that was actually going to be my plan. We were going to discuss specific players. but um, So we'll start with Tagovailoa. Um, I don't think that he'll be a bad NFL quarterback. I think if he tries to be the same quarterback that he was at Alabama, he's going to get murdered mm-hmm. in the National Football League. he's one of those to me he can be a franchise guy but he's going to see that he's not without help yeah yeah he's someone who need a lot of help well but not like someone who can pretty much run the show on their own i mean that's true for 90 percent of quarterbacks anyway but I do agree. I'd say closer to like seventy, because yeah. with some people you can get them help, and you're still not going anywhere. Well, yes, that's true. Hello, Nathan Peterman. 
Yes. But oh, so pretty sure he just threw another interception somewhere. <laughs> he went to throw a pass to his kid and the neighbor took it. <laughs> <laughs> but Which is ironic because the closest neighbor is like four houses down. <laughs> go ahead, Bisco. But here here's my thought on, on Tagavailoa. I think he is definitely a a high risk, high reward type of quarterback. But to be fair, it's not like he's the first guy that has been in this type of situation. Seemingly every big-time college quarterback nowadays is in this position because you cannot be... Yes, you can be a dual-threat quarterback in the NFL, but you cannot be a primarily running quarterback in the NFL without having an incredibly short shelf life. So, if Tagovailoa is teachable, and he's willing and able to learn to stay in the pocket more, and use his his legs as more of a last resort, more than his go-to, then I think he could certainly be a good quarterback in the NFL. Um, but, especially with what Eric was saying, and, and you too, Harry, about, you know, potential injuries coming out at, outside of what we already knew, and depending upon what Miami uh, was able to do with him, if they were able to bring him in or not, yeah, I could certainly see him dropping down because of that uncertainty. I want to give you the quarterback. I'll I'll give you the exact quarterback comparison that he's going to have his NFL career, David Carr. I could see that. That is his ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that David Carr is the ceiling for him because I think he could be a little bit better than that, assuming that he is fully healthy because Carr had a series of injuries in his NFL career. So I think that I think that Tagovailoa's ceiling is a little bit higher than David Carr, but in terms of like natural talent, Carr is probably about where I would put him. I do not think he is a franchise-changing quarterback. I didn't think he was a franchise-changing quarterback when he was in college either. And to be fair, I don't think he replaced a franchise-changing quarterback because we might as well talk about the other former Alabama quarterback that's coming out in this draft as well, and that would be Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree about that. To kind of button things up on Tua. One of the main things with David Carr, and everybody will see that for that uh, 2002 team, or that 2001-2002, no offensive line. Hmm. And with the changes in practice of how offensive linemen cannot get those reps and really be a cohesive unit outside of their during the season, that's going to be a major problem for Tua. And not to mention... Not to mention, oh, real ahead, re- real quick, not to mention this year adds an extra uncertainty because you don't even know when or if you're going to be able to practice. Mm-hmm. Well, I would think realistically that if you get drafted to a specific team that you're going to figure out a way to meet up with at least some of the players that you know will be there once training camp starts. But this is a different situation yeah. than the last time we had anything like this, which was 2011. Back then, labor stoppage. Now, global pandemic. 
All right, let me ask you guys. But the game has changed. Mm. Let me ask you guys this question in regards to Tagovailoa. Six foot one, two hundred and fifteen pounds. The man he replaced at Alabama, Jalen Hurts, is six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds. Do you think that being just a shade over six foot tall is a hindrance to a guy like Tagovailoa or Jalen Hurts, given the fact that there are larger quarterbacks in this draft? Mm. Not all that Honestly, much. Honestly, no. I'm going to have to say no. Smaller quarterbacks have shown that, again, you, they can use and optimize their talents. And if you can help build some of the pieces around them, they can be fantastic. But even with existing pieces, they can optimize their talents so that way they can get some modicum of success. And For example, Russell Wilson. And not only that, but especially in today's NFL, in a weird irony, smaller quarterbacks sometimes have a bit of an advantage because because of their size, they get those calls that a bigger quarterback may not necessarily get because for whatever reason, the refs think, oh, they can handle it. I'm not going to call the refing the passer. Jason? Um, I don't think the size is going to really hamper him. I think the injury is going to hamper him. Um, I just, I don't, I'm not a fan of either one of them. Uh, so, but if you want to talk hurt, I'll go ahead and put that prediction out there and, uh, and tell you exactly where he's going to land up due to a big name trade getting that's going to happen. And that is, uh, I suspect if the rumors are true, uh, you're going to see Jalen Hurd as a Dallas Cowboy, and Dak is on his way out of Big uh, Big D, going to another team to be their starting quarterback next year. All right, a couple of things to unpack here. One, it physically pained me to hear you call Dallas Big D, knowing you're a Giants fan. Don't ever do that again. Yeah, Two. how dare you, Jason? Two. Well, I don't think. I don't man, think. Man, what are you talking about, Brandon? We can barely get you on a podcast. So I got I'm the only one that can represent the Giants. Two, <laughs> and just as importantly here, I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to have any kind of a regular NFL career because I don't think that he. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to translate well to the NFL. I mean, let's look at this realistically. A lot of us are both have seen both a lot of NFL and college football. Yes, while Jalen Hurts started at Alabama, we saw what happened. And just like, like, again, with Russell Wilson, nobody talks about his time at NC State. Everybody saw his time and what he did at Wisconsin. Your time for what you did at Alabama is diminished by what you did at Oklahoma because that's how you finished. Big 12 quarterbacks... Sorry, you're not going to get the best of the best. I mean, the one exception we've gotten the past several years is Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. And that's just one of those huge statistical outliers. Mm-hmm. So, All right, so, so basically what you think, Harry, is we're really only going to get two quarterbacks, at least coming out of the first round, that are going to be good in the NFL. Okay, let me actually state this much. I don't think any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft will measure up to the top quarterback in next year's draft. No. No, not next year's. No, I, think, yeah. I think you got three viable 
I think you got two viable options in the first round this year, and then two is going to be middle of the road mediocre. Like if you look at the if you look at the list of eligible players next year, it is a who's who of who's pop who's who's current in college football right now. Trevor Lawrence is on that list. Um, hold on, I just had it right in front of me. Here we go. Justin Fields from Ohio State. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey from Michigan, who's going to be taking over for Shea Peterson. JT Daniels from USC, if he can stay healthy. Uh, Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, who actually had a big year this year for Texas A&M. So there's a list of quarterbacks there. I mean, obviously, um, Fields and Lawrence are the two to talk about there because those are the two guys that get all of that. Isn't the kid from Texas coming out next year too? Uh, Not listed on my immediate. I thought that uh, he's got a couple years left still. I think he might be a junior, so there's the potential of him coming out next year, but not guaranteed. I, yeah, unless he's a fifth year senior, he might he might have fifth year senior eligibility. But I thought he was a junior. He was going to be a junior this year. Uh, a, a senior a junior. He was a junior this year and a senior next year for yep. next eligible for next year's draft. You're referring to Sam Ellinger, right? Yes. I do not think Ellinger is eligible for next year's draft because I think he I went to college. I think he went to college early. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> I think he didn't Ellinger reclassify. He might Regardless. have. I would have to look that up, but I think he might have. Regardless. I'm looking it up now. Uh, All right. While while Jason looks that up, let's go ahead and talk about some of the other quarterbacks in this draft here. Uh, we haven't really spent a whole lot of time talking about Joe Burrow, other than the fact that we did mention that he is probably the number one pick. Jason seems to think otherwise, but the other three of us agree that Cincinnati would be wise to stay at number one and take uh, Burrow. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, do you buy or sell Burrow after his exploits at LSU over the course of the last two years? I'm buying it with caution because he had a pretty big jump from what he did last year as from the year before. And I think a lot of that was the help of having an offensive coordinator with NFL experience. That's going to be great with him with having another offensive coordinator with NFL experience, obviously. But my thing is, and this is another thing that I said, I would have to pitch the fans hard right away. If you really want him to be successful, don't throw him in right away. He will have some success if you do decide to go ahead and start him week one. I'm not saying that he won't, but he would have a better path to success if he just sits for a little bit because you don't want someone who winds up being just a one-year wonder. Then you're looking 2023, 2024. You're in the same situation now in Cincinnati that you have been, especially with your issues that you've dealt with Andy Dalton, with Carson Palmer calling you out. You're wanting to try to establish something, especially with that new head coach. You want to take 
not full-on caution, but a little bit. Ideally, if you could set him up to where he would sit for a year, then start the 2021 season full steam ahead. I just don't think fans will be that accepting of it. I I have to agree with Eric there in terms of what he's saying, but another thing to uh, that you have to take into consideration, and a lot of teams, especially nowadays, get this wrong, and this is why we see so many college quarterback NFL busts. And, I mean, there's other reasons for why you see it as well, but this is one of the big reasons. They'll draft a big-time college quarterback but then not get any pieces around him. And especially for a guy like Burrow, who is much more of a pocket quarterback. I talked about how Tua had to become more of a pocket quarterback in order to avoid injuries. But especially in in today's game, and especially on a team like Cincinnati, that you're not going to have the greatest of pieces around you especially not on the offensive line, you need to be able to move and you need to be able to extend plays because you're not going to have much time in the pro- in the pocket. So that's mm-hmm. going to hurt him a lot going into Cincinnati if he does indeed get drafted by Cincinnati. And we've seen it time and time again in years past of the number one overall team Drafting a quarterback, not getting any pieces around him, throwing him right into the fire, and he gets burned. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with that one. And again, when going back to what I've been saying about offensive lines and you're seeing it, you're not going to get the best out of the best, even with how well you draft and how well college is producing them. Because if you don't fully transition to a more college-style offense, that's going to be a hindrance. And if that's a hindrance, then you will need to spend that extra time getting your quarterback to be more mobile, and that will cause even greater problems. Well, let me ask you guys about one of the other quarterbacks that's in the draft that's got the more of a higher level of experience. And we briefly touched on him earlier, but I want to get your thoughts here. That would be the aforementioned Justin Herbert from Oregon, who, in my opinion, was the favorite to win the Heisman going into the season this year. And I think I said as much on our college football preview episode. Uh, Herbert didn't quite live up to expectations compared to what he had done in previous years statistically. However... 12-2 12-2 and two as a starting quarterback and Pac-12 champions kind of speaks for itself in terms of his maturity as a quarterback here. Does it not, Eric? Not only do you have 12-2 and two Pac-12 champion, which still, as you say, carries a little bit of a weight, but then if you also look at some of these intangibles, like a 4.0 or along those lines, GPA, he is a teaching assistant and all kinds of advanced stuff like microbiology. Justin Herbert is smart. He's got what it takes above the shoulders. And with someone like him who's dedicated to learning and doing all kinds of things, he is someone who, if you put him into a situation, he can adapt more quickly. So I think whoever's lucky enough to get Justin Herbert 
you've got yourself a very good quarterback. You should still build around him pretty quickly, but you have the little bit more of a time than you would for someone like a, even a Joe Burrow or a Tua so you can take and get that build. You can wait and get the right pieces to get that last little bit out of Herbert. To me, it's 1A and 1B in terms mm-hmm. of quarterbacks in this draft and with the potential of a guy like a Herbert. and Somebody else that we didn't really talk a lot about during the season, but somebody who I've been a fan of as well, was Steven Montez from Colorado. Unfortunately, Montez has the stink of collapsing as the starting quarterback the last two years, where both times the Buffaloes have started 5-0 and and then 3-0 and respectively and ended up not making bowl games. Montez, exactly. has the physical, Montez has the physical tools uh, that a Justin Herbert has, but does he have the mental capacity that Justin Herbert has? I dare say no. Well, especially but, now that he'll be separated from, especially now that he'll be separated from star wide receiver Lavisca Chenault. Well, especially but that's, because the, I mean Colorado. Come on now. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was about to say. Though is how much of that collapse is due to him personally and how much of that is due to not having any pieces around him and having to face off against tougher competition later on in the season when you get into Pac-12 play. See, I well, would I mean, argue that he had... he's go ahead, go uh, ahead Eric. Go ahead Eric. I'll, no, I'll I was just to say, let's be fair. Yes, he's had a very decent career, but I mean, look at the Colorado quarterbacks we've seen in the last couple of generations. Nobody like the great ones like Craig Oaks or Bobby Pesavino. It's, it's just, ugh. that's a whole big can of worms right there when you're talking Buffalo's football. Six foot six, though, similar lines along the Justin Herbert area. I think that the quarterback, especially one that tall, is going to catch a lot more eyes in the NFL than somebody, say, the size of a six foot two, six foot three guy, if even that, with somebody like a Jalen Hurts. I haven't seen much of him. Is he more of a pocket quarterback or is he more of a running guy? Montez, Montez can move, but he prefers to be yeah. he prefers to be pocket. So. Considering, and this would be a huge shock, but then again, we've seen things happen like this in the past, and with the uncertainty of Tua, you could potentially see it. You know, you could see a team that, like, mid-late first round, if Tua's still on the board, but he's also still on the board, they may go with the, you know, not necessarily proven, but not as high of a risk type of guy rather than drafting the high-risk Tua. Yeah, but if you're going to have someone, especially like Montez, then what would be your option if you were choosing between Montez and someone like Jordan Love? Uh, I, I would choose Steven Montez just based on quality of opposition with Jordan Love being from Utah State. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, Love's numbers are super impressive, but it's against subpar competition mm-hmm. in the Mountain West. But then again, we've seen quarterbacks come from mid-major, you know, uh, FCS schools and be successful 
in the NFL. Or a group of five schools and be successful as well. Well, that I said mid-major. Yeah, Jason, your, your thoughts on the non-heralded quarterbacks that we're discussing right now? Somebody like a Jordan Love, like a Steven Montez, like a... I think, I think Jordan Love is going to be one of... I think he's going to be the second best quarterback taken in this draft. Uh, only behind Burrow. Uh, because I think that he has uh, got the most NFL-ready arm of uh, the four quarter, four top quarterbacks that are on most people's boards. I think he's got the most NFL-ready arm, and I think he's actually got it between the ears uh, <clears throat> a little bit better than the the other three. So I think he's going to be the surprise pick that comes out and is a um, – Actually, I'm going to say he's he's 1B. Uh, I'll go as far as saying he'll be 1B, especially if he ends up uh, as a charger, um, which is the rumor. It's, it's a toss-up between him and uh, Justin Herbert uh, that's going to be the next uh, charger uh, QB. So I, I think that he potentially – could surprise a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are just like Harrier. Uh, look at him as a he hasn't faced quote unquote prime competition and everything, but he, he had a great um, co- uh, pro day. Um, a lot of teams started buzzing about him. He started moving up a lot of boards, and I think he's actually going to be the surprise quarterback of the draft. Uh, especially if he lands with the right team. All right, two more quick names to talk about here because we haven't really discussed them. We'll combine two of them into one, and then there's one other person I do want to stand alone based on how he's kind of been a a regular occurrence on the show in the past. The two that I want to discuss together are the Apple Cup quarterbacks, Eric, and that would be Jacob Easton from Washington and – Anthony Flash Gordon from Washington State, who I know you specifically talked about for that record-breaking performance that he had against UCLA. The damn influence of Florida, man. I still nine and you. (laughs) That was a game. For those who don't remember, sixty-six, sixty-three UCLA wins. Anthony Gordon accounts for all nine Washington State touchdowns through passing methods, and the defense still finds a way to lose the game. Pac-12 football, everybody. Continue where. Yeah, Pac-12 after dark. Honestly, if I had to say that who would be the better of the two or have a better chance, it would be Gordon, but the only way Gordon has an edge is because of what his predecessor Minshew did here in Jacksonville. And naturally there's some scuttle about that, but that's for a separate episode. I think because of that heavy pirate run role at the time, at least for that season, offense under Mike Leach, it could expose you to a lot of different throws and a lot of throws you would have to make in the NFL, which is very good. But again, Washington State quarterbacks, even Minshew included, have only been kind of eh, which is only a slight upgrade from the Ryan Leaf days. 
But with Eason, I think he's still at a disadvantage because while he was okay at Georgia, he was just okay, even for as good a school like Georgia in the SEC East. Then he went to Washington thinking, okay, I know I'm beat out here. I can go resurrect this program, make them a Pac-12 power, all of these things, because I am an SEC guy, and you manage a, what, a 7-5? and five? So you're just showing you can be mediocre anywhere. And if you can be mediocre anywhere, a lot of NFL teams will be like, you know what? You can be mediocre for us for a fourth-round pick, a third-round pick maybe, but uh, not earlier than that. Jason, another name that we talked a lot about in the course of the season here on the show was Jake from State Farm, Jake Fromm from Georgia, the man who replaced Jacob Eason at the University of Georgia here. What do you think of uh, Jake Fromm? What do you think his ceiling is in the NFL? And then I'll ask Brandon about another quarterback as well, and then we'll move on because there are other um, there are other petitions to discuss. Yeah, I will say the, the ceiling for him is – late third, early fourth rounder. Uh, I think he is a developmental quarterback that you can stash that has all the raw potential, but I think he needs to have, he needs to be shined up. He needs to be um, mentored before he can take the helms for a team. Uh, Do I see him as a potential starter? Yes. Uh, I think he could be somebody that, you know, I mean, hell, I'll go out, I'll say, I'm just going to be full of bold predictions. If he lands in somewhere like Green Bay and he can sit behind Rodgers and just mentor, get mentored by Rodgers, I think that would be a hell of a fit for him. Uh, I think that if he could go somewhere and be mentored, I mean, I don't see this happening, but... You know, uh, there's a possibility if he goes to uh, New Orleans. That's behind, I think Breeze might have two years max left. Learn from Breeze. Um, and I think that could be, or, you know, go to somewhere like, you know, go set behind a seasoned quarterback that doesn't have a big shelf life that, he can just be mentored. He could study. He could hold a clipboard for for about a year or two and be groomed to take over. I think he's a late third, early fourth. I, I don't know if Rogers kind of has the mentality to be able to want to mentor someone. Great idea. But if Rogers wasn't the way he was, I'd say it would be perfect. But he is. Uh, Brandon, we'll finish with you. And the last name that I want to discuss is somebody who was very, very mercurial during his college career. That would be Shea Patterson, formerly of Michigan. Yeah. Um, I mean, but Michigan, Michigan by way of old miss, I believe Eric. You're correct. Yeah, yeah. Two, two programs that have had hype at times and just haven't lived up to it. So, I think he's a guy that, you know, he'll go mid-draft at some point, fourth, maybe fifth round, uh, to a team that doesn't necessarily need a quarterback right now, but may need a quarterback in the future, 
He's basically the same as how uh, Jason was was talking about Jake Fromm. You know, he's going to be a guy that you're not going to pick him as your your starting quarterback, your franchise quarterback right now. He's going to be a guy that is going to be on the board late later in the draft, and you're and a team's gonna that has a quarterback already is going to say, let's give it a shot and see if we can build the next Tom Brady. Let's switch positions. Let's move over to running back. Jason mentioned earlier that this is not a running back heavy class, and it's really not. There's not a whole lot of marquee names at the position, but there are a couple that do immediately spring to mind, including one who has been the bane of this show's existence throughout the entirety of the show's existence, referring to Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. (laughs) Back-to-back 2,000-yard back-to-back 2,000-yard rushing seasons, and if the statistics I'm seeing are correct. Tied for the lead in the NCAA for rushing yards this year with J.K. Dobbins of Ohio State, who is also in this class and rated as a slightly higher prospect than Taylor is. If you had to choose, Eric, is it J.K. Dobbins? Is it Jonathan Taylor? Or do you take one of the backs out of the SEC and DeAndre Swift from Georgia or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of LSU? Clyde Edwards Hilaire put that I am fully admitting right now that is part to a personal bias against both of those other running backs that you've mentioned. <laughs> if I had the luxury of choosing anyone, I would take Edwards Hilaire. But if you sit tied up to a chair, gun to my head, and you have to make me your you have to take the gag out of my mouth for me to say the pick then I would indeed go Taylor, simply because a little bit more power, and I like the fact that he's a little bit more of an inside runner, which you may need. But as far as stylistic running, I would prefer someone like Edwards Hilaire because he's shown he has a little bit more juke and a little bit more bounce. So if you even have a half-decent offensive line, he's been one of those runners to where if you can just give him that extra beat of a second, he can create holes and can make those lanes. Jason, I saw you singing the praises of Edwards Hilaire earlier, as well as Robert Taylor, who we've discussed on the show, stating that he wants Edwards Hilaire to come to Kansas City. Where do you think he lands? Uh, With everything coming out, I think that he ends ends up with the – beloved team of one Eric Watkins and it becomes a Jaguar as the rumors of them trading out uh, for net are starting to amp up and yes, teams, are starting, uh, teams are starting to call around and seeing what Jacksonville wants for Fournette. If, if we can get Edwards Hilaire, hey Leonard, I love you, but thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Fun fact, you mentioned that this was a very poor running back draft. Uh, Edwards Hilaire and DeAndre Swift are the only two running backs that are currently listed in the Athlon Top 40. And both of them will go in the the early to mid-second round. Swift is projected as a late first-round pick. 
Hilaire uh, projected as early second. I'm I'm looking at the CBS Sports uh, mock draft, and they don't have any running backs going in the first round. Yeah, I don't see any running back taking first round. No. I mean, you're going to have plenty of wide receivers, but no, no running we'll backs. Get, yeah, we'll get, you'll see, we'll you'll see four, ta- four wide receivers taken. Brandon, best of the rest running backs. Anybody in particular that jumps out at you as far as a name to keep an eye out on? Best of the rest or out of the four we were talking about earlier? Well, you can give your thoughts on the yeah. four as well, but then a best of the rest selection as well. I have two other names that we're going to discuss, but um, that's because they're, they're team-specific. Out of the four that we talked about, I'd, I'd either have to go with uh, with uh, Taylor or Swift. Or Sweat, rather, excuse so you, me. You, no, Swift, you were right oh, the okay. first time. It, it's Taylor Swift. Yep. <laughs> Very funny. You, you have to... You have to shake it off. You just got to shake okay. it off. <laughs> Beat you to it, Eric. Bite me. Um, but yeah, those two, you know, they've they've shown how good they are in college. And not only that, and I know this is kind of overhyped at times, but it really is true. Both of those programs are programs that build running backs very well. So that adds extra credence to their stock. Well, it's funny that he mentions programs that build running backs, Eric. I think our two programs kind of know a thing or two about that. Ah, in the good old days. Projected as the number 12 prospect for Athlon is DJ Dallas, running back Miami of Florida. Somebody who's probably watched most, if not all, of his college career. Eric, what can you tell us about DJ Dallas? 12? I mean, don't get me wrong. Good pass catcher, very good pass catcher out of the backfield. Definitely more if you can get someone to run outside or even on some sweep plays. Yes, but if for if you're trying to get someone who can be more of a good three-down back, but you are an inside running team, you might need to bulk up just a TD bit. But if you're someone who really likes to stretch the field and especially using the width, then yes, DJ Dallas is a great back for you. Another school that's known for producing quality NFL backs, including the NFL's all-time leading rusher, Emmett Smith, is the University of Florida. And our starting running back from this past season, LaMichael Prerine, is listed as the 14th prospect for Athlon. Unfortunately, there is one word that I can think of when it comes to Prerine. And Jason, I think you might be able to back me up with this year because you've seen more than your fair share of Gators games this year as well. The word that springs to mind for me when it comes to Prerine is inconsistent. There were games where he would absolutely take over, and there were games where he would disappear uh, i i thought you were gonna say turnover yeah he, he yeah he <clears throat> he had a um he had a a very very nice knack of being one of the most frustrating players to watch in college football i mean um he like you said he could tear off uh, a monster game and, and then he would disappear for a game or game and a half and you know, you never knew what you was going to get out of him, and I think that kind of that kind of hurt him uh, 
in the confidence department because he never he, he would either be on an extreme high or extreme low and with with that mentality you know not having that bounce back factor is what i think really hurt him uh, hurt him on on big games because uh he would get so hyped up for big games and put a lot of personal pressure and a lot of the the external pressure all eyes on me uh, i think that kind of that kind of uh, messed with his psyche a little bit. Yeah. Eric, you're down in Florida. You'd have just as much access to the University of Florida as somebody like myself would. Um, agree or disagree on the inconsistent label for Long- for LaMichael P. Run? Uh, I definitely agree because I've seen a lot of big-time Gator games and highlights, and it was always – Yes, some of these spectacular, you know, 150, 200-yard performances, huge top 10-worthy runs in some big games. But then whenever you were expecting him to have anything close to that kind of day, it's like he wasn't even there. It's like you had an empty backfield. And I think, again, when he's on, as especially uh, Jason said, you put that little extra pressure on yourself to where it becomes too much. Then you go ahead and switch off because in the NFL, you're already going to be targeted. So then you get those little extra happy feet could lead to some more negative runs, maybe an extra fumble here or there. All of a sudden you're gone. So he's definitely going to have to manage the mental aspect. So he's perfect for the bills. He circles the wagon. Basically. Yeah, but we already have our young running back in Devin Singletary. I think we're okay. Fine. Which I would like to take this opportunity to publicly apologize to Lou Bisker. I was completely wrong about Singletary. I thought Singletary was a terrible idea when Buffalo drafted him. I was wrong. All right, we move on. Um, One other thing to discuss about LaMichael here, Brandon, and this kind of ties into the history of the NFL – um, pedigree. Do you think that having a, uh, having a sibling that's played in the NFL actually helps or hurts LaMichael's opportunities in terms of chances that he might get in the league? I think it's a little bit of both because it helps. I think it does help his draft stock because teams are going to be saying, oh, hey, if his brother was this good, then, you know, he could be this, that good as well. But outside of that, I think it also hurts him because especially with what you guys were talking about with him putting that added pressure on, that extra pressure of living up to the family legacy hurts him as well. So it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, in that same vein, though, how much pressure does he have from having a sibling in the league? Because... <clears throat> his brother hasn't had a spectacular season yeah. since he's been I, in the NFL. He's been injury prone. I owe you guys. I owe, I need to issue a quick correction here. Uh, Samaji is his cousin, not his no. brother. Okay. I apologize. Okay, but still, still uh, pedigree in terms yeah. of having family blood in the uh, having family blood that's played in the NFL. Still, my point still stands. Yeah. But still, my my point still stands where it, it kind of helps and hurts at the same time where 
GMs are going to be looking at him and saying, oh, your your cousin is pretty good. He's done pretty well in the NFL. Let's see how you can do, which helps his draft stock in terms of he might get picked a few spots higher than he would otherwise. But at the same time, it puts that added pressure onto him. And especially with his history of putting enough pressure on himself already, having that added pressure may be a hindrance to him. All right, let's move on to what Jason said is probably the go-to class in this year's NFL draft. Wide receivers. Jason, I'll let you take the lead for this. Uh, I think uh, Judy, is uh, him and C.C. Lamb are going to be uh, phenomenal standout players. Uh, I think you'll see a, a, uh, a mile-high team make a move to move up to take Judy, and I think C.C. Lamb will be uh, in Vegas to, to help that franchise and build around. Uh, I mean, both of them are both phenomenal specimens. Um, it's probably one of the better draft classes, probably one of the top three draft classes at wide receiver that we've seen, uh, at least in my recent memory. I mean, there's a couple of other names that definitely spring to mind in this class as well. Uh, one of which, I'll admit, a little bit of a personal bias in KJ Hamler out of Penn State, also a punt and kick returner as well. So you have the multiple options with Hamler. Uh, we just talked about LaVisca Chenault earlier, who, in my opinion, may have been the most underrated player in college football the last two years. Literally, nobody was talking about this guy, and he was blowing up week after week after week. Uh, Eric, is there is there any particular uh, wide receiver in this draft class that you would personally be trying to get your hands on if you were a general manager? Definitely Judy. You can go back and see a lot of the success for Alabama wide receivers, not just the athleticism, not just the route running, but that extra little bit of ability to just get open and just find ways to be wide open. Even against some of the top-notch defenses, these guys are very, very easy to just break away. And next thing you know, as a defense, you've lost them. So Judy would definitely be my guy. With CeeDee Lamb, yes, with a lot of catches. And this is where the Big 12 would help receivers. Yes, he's also got that athleticism and a little bit more speed. But... You've got more flexibility in the types of routes you can run with Judy, just a little bit more than you do with CeeDee Lamb, in my mind. We've we've seen everybody singing Jerry Judy's praises for the last couple of years, Brandon, but here's the thing. Do you think Judy would be getting as much praise as he had if he didn't have another star wide receiver in the same backfield as him, such as a Henry Ruggs, who was projected as the third wide receiver on the Athlon board himself? I mean, it certainly helps him the fact that he doesn't have to do everything by himself. But I think especially considering, you know, yes, Tua was is a great quarterback and he was there for the majority of the time. The fact that he was able to still be very successful and productive even with a backup quarterback, albeit a good backup quarterback, but still having that 
level of talent as well helps him a lot. Yes, the fact that having a, another guy that's a big threat on the other side of the ball helps you a lot, but I think his talent speaks enough to his quality, or his numbers speak enough to his quality and talent that I don't think that will be a big hindrance to his draft stock. If anything, teams are just going to be saying, okay, we need someone at least competent over on the other side in order to in order to avoid having the issue of him potentially getting double teamed. Anybody that we haven't discussed so far, Jason, that you, you would say sticks out from this draft class for wide receiver? Uh, no, I think we've covered all all my um, you know between all of us. I think we we've done a fairly good job of covering every everything uh, that I had in mind to discuss wide receiver wise. Eric, there are two names that stick out to me that we haven't discussed yet. I want to get your thoughts on both real quick. Okay. Again, moderately Homer on one, referring to the University of Florida's Van Jefferson. Um, let's see. The whole thing is I haven't seen a whole, whole lot specifically of Jefferson to get that much of an opinion on him. <laughs> Admittedly. What about the University of Kentucky's Lynn Bowden? Even less. I mean, good God. Can... <laughs> Even Bowden, down... has... Bowden has good speed, but he's a subpar route runner. Not to mention, look at the situation that Kentucky was even in. Weren't they on like a third string quarterback towards the end of the season? Nobody could stay healthy at that school. It happens. Yeah, I think a good uh, a good thing that you know if, if Bowden ends up on the right team, he could become like a Wes Welker type that would get a lot of yards after catch. Uh, not not necessarily a possession receiver, but a intermediate route, a short intermediate route runner that would that could beat you with the yards after catch. You know who I kind of think he, he compares out to, honestly, from what I've seen of him play in terms of his breakaway speed? Like, he has the speed. He doesn't have the route ability. It kind of reminds me of somebody like a Dante Hall. I could see that. Well, because, I mean, or if you think about that, would he have more of an impact on special teams if that were the case? I would probably imagine so. I would argue that KJ Hamler from Penn State's major impact is going to be on special teams as well. All right, I'm going to be entirely honest with you guys. I'm looking at the list right here. There is literally no tight end that jumps out at me in this class. Real quick before we uh, jump ahead, I just wanted to name two other wide receivers that I think uh, could be not necessarily breakout stars, but could certainly be good, solid uh, NFL wide receivers. Uh, Justin Jefferson and uh, and uh, T-, T. Higgins. Higgins is ranked 7th in Athlon, and Jefferson's ranked 8th. Jefferson actually has a slight advantage in that he is the son of an NFL coach. Yeah. 
Higgins, his biggest thing is, okay, how much of that was him? How much of that was Trevor Lawrence and Clemson? I mean, yes, I agree. I, I agree with that. But at the same time, you know, no matter how good a quarterback is, if you don't have the talent to make plays off of it, you know, he had some pretty good yards after catch uh, in his career. No, not saying that he didn't. And I mean, again, even going back to someone like a Hunter Renfro, look at what he's mm-hmm. done for the Raiders. He's really started to come on well. So that's the only reason why it's that sort of an argument. Could he be one of those guys who can consistently be that outside burner with someone else throwing at him? I believe he can, but a lot of GMs are going to have that question. Um, Personally, uh, moving on here, let's continue. We are an offense-focused podcast. We tend to be – we will talk defensive players in general here once we get to the defensive side of the ball, but we tend to focus offensively here, specifically skill positions, just because that is the nature of the beast for a football podcast. It's more about the guys that you see on the ends of the lines and the boys in the trenches doing doing the heavy lifting. There are some names that stick out on both the offensive and defensive lines, and we'll talk about a couple of them. But let's continue on the playmaker side of the ball on offense, and let's move over to tight end. Eric, I'm telling you right now, I just said it a few seconds ago. I'm going to say it again here. Uh, Cole Cole Met of Notre Dame is the only projected first-round tight end pick. I do not see a standout tight end here in, in this uh, in this draft class. Me neither, and I'm going to be honest. Even though he's a projected first-round pick, would it surprise me if he goes early second? No, it wouldn't. Yeah, I don't see him going first round. And I think I think this is going to become, and it's surprising that this is the first year in a while that this has happened, but I think you're going to see it more and more throughout the years, is colleges moving further and further away from that traditional offense. So you're not going to see nearly as many tight ends coming out. The ironic part of that being that the 2010 draft, the draft that we're on the 10th anniversary of, arguably the greatest tight end in NFL history mm-hmm. is in that draft class. Second Aaron round, Hernandez. <laughs> in the second round went Rob Gronkowski. I thought it was Hernandez. He was killing it in the NFL. <laughs> Look, uh, he's still fine ways. He still finds ways to hang around, so we got to give him some credit. I swear to God, Jason, you do that right now. We're going to end this show here and now. I know what you're thinking. Stop it. All right, moving on. Um, Today's podcast was brought to you by... Stop it! <laughs> you know, let, let me just say, in the history of the kickoff, Something like that specific hasn't happened, and I would have thought of anybody, I would be the first one to get that lecture. Jason, I owe you a drink. All right, let's let's move on here. Let's offensive Suicide line. Hotline. Hang in there. <laughs> the views and opinions of Jason Teasley do not necessarily reflect those of the rest of us here at the W2M Network. They are solely yeah. his entertainment purposes only <laughs> so hang around you'll hear more alleged entertainment, <laughs> I should say. all right back to yeah, the, does not reflect the review of the views of the w2m network yet dot 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 
dramatic reverb? Yeah. As one famous news host would say, watch this space. And now here's the rest of the story. <laughs> um, anybody from the offensive line jumping out at you, Eric? Not in particular. I mean, the way that offensive lines have gone, I think you're starting to like what Brandon said, what you're going to see in moving away from tight ends. You're going to start to see shift in thinking with offensive linemen because it's like, eh, can you do enough to buy our QB at least a little bit of time? If so, fantastic. Well, I think that... Go ahead, Harry. Just real, just real quick. There are no projected first-round picks at guard or center. However, there are three projected first-round picks at tackle. Well, because tackle is... Wait, I'm trying to think. I always get them mixed up. Yeah, tackle is the one at the end, correct? Outside of the line, right, you're tackle, protecting the right tackle is... The right tackle is probably the most high yes. position okay. on the NFL field. I, I I always get them mixed up whether the guard is the one on the inside or the tackle is. So yeah, Ta- tackle the, guard center guard yes. tackle. Yep. So the the tackle that's the reason why they are the highest projected guys is because they're the ones that are the most important in the game nowadays. They have to face off against either the defensive end or the outside linebacker, and they are protecting especially. The left tackle are pro- they're protecting the quarterback's blind side, assuming he's a right-handed quarterback. Um, so, mm-hmm. con- so considering that, that's why you see that. I kind of disagree with Harry though on what he's saying about offensive lines, offensive linemen becoming less important. I think the opposite. I think as this continues to progress, where offensive lines are struggling more and more and more, you're going to see a resurgence of, and especially with with how how much we're seeing these quarterbacks, you know, get injured and, and their careers getting shortened, you're going to see that resurgence, resurgence of the offensive line is the heart of the offense and we need to protect our quarterback and allow him to do what he does best. But you got to get the reps. They got to practice. Yes, agree. I would first of all like to say that I did not say that the offensive line are the ones going out. I just said that there are no immediately standoutish offensive linemen in this particular draft. Yes, there are some. There are several tackles who are projected to go in the first round, including the one who was guarding Jake uh, Jake Fromm's blindside and Andrew Thomas at Georgia. However. I do not think that any of these offensive linemen are going to be guys that we're going to specifically remember their name in five yeah. to ten years. No. No, I will mm. agree with that. But then again, with a few exceptions, obviously there are those that are more memorable than others. Offensive line is, is one of those positions, is the main position where, yes, you could be the greatest you know, left tackle, right tackle, what have you, in the world. But if the rest of the line isn't picking up the slack, it's going to be a moot point. Yeah, not everybody like a Joe Thomas and Nick Mangold and Matt Burke and Alex mm-hmm. Mack. I agree with that. A Tony Saragusa. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, is the best offensive lineman, you don't know their name because that means they're doing their job. That means that they're not getting beaten on plays and they're not getting mm. called out by announcers for getting beaten on plays and they're not getting cut by teams because they're constantly getting beaten on plays. They're people well, who are able to go and do their job on a consistent basis and not make anything about them. Go ahead, Eric. No, I was going to say or holding penalties. Mm-hmm. Right, getting called for excessive penalties. Let's flip things over to the defensive line side of things here. And in my opinion, the best player in this draft is not a quarterback. It's not a wide receiver. It is not anybody offensive. It is defensive end. It pains me to say this from the Ohio State University, Chase Young. This young man is going to be a superstar. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Just like you put him pretty much anywhere, and I think with his physicality and his way to break through blocks, you can have him really on either a 4-3 or 3-4 system. You have yourself a beast. Beast. Jason, I know there's a little bit of a bias against the Ohio State University. I sympathize with you as a Big Ten fan myself of a non-Ohio State fan of a non-Ohio State school. However, you cannot deny the athletic ability and talents that, that Chase Young possessed. Oh, I was one of Chase Young's biggest supporters this year. Just because I hate Ohio State don't mean that I hate the kid that, a kid that plays for him. I think he's going to be uh, a game changer. I think he's going to be able, like Eric said, you could put him in just about any, any scheme. You could put him in a 3-4 or a 4-3. I just hate the fact where he's projected to go. And I think he's going to, if he does end up there, he's he's going to hate life and possibly um, fizzle out because of the fact that... Um, that organization is so incompetently run? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they are heading up. They, they were they was contacted um, this year about... Uh, you know, the possibility of having the NFL season without having any fans. So they did reach out to Washington and see how to go about it because they've been doing it for years. Um, so, yeah, certain- I, I, I think I Chase Young is probably the, the biggest game changer in this draft. But I think if he goes to Washington, you're not going to see his full potential. You He's going to he's going to be mishandled in that organization. Yeah. So is there asked even going all the way back to Jack Kent Cook from moving them out of RFK? But to be fair, that is one position. Defensive end is one of those positions that no matter how bad the team is around you, you can still be successful and make a name for yourself on your own. I mean, especially look, if you have a defensive coach like he would. Exactly. So, I mean, look at look at a fellow red former Redskin Albert Hainsworth. You know, those Redskins a team. What? what? A former what? For, uh, sorry, former Washington Redacted player. Thank yeah. you. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, yeah. Al- Albert Hainsworth. Um, you know, he was. Those teams were terrible in Washington, and yet he made a name for himself there. 
I think the one person that I think I'm best going to uh, compare Young to, and I don't know if he'll have quite the career of this guy, but I think he he reminds me a lot of Jadavian Clowney coming out. I think he's going to be a better player than Clowney. Clowney was probably a little bit more explosive, but I think I think that Chase Young's going to be a better player. Yeah, I yeah, think I could it's do that. definitely more of a closer to a Khalil Mack. Not quite on that level, but nearing there. Honestly, you know the name that I you know the name that I think. Hmm. Um. And obviously, pre-injury here, he reminds me a lot of Jason Pierre-Paul. Mm. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I could see that. That's a good comp. So I'm just saying that. Some I don't think that. I don't think that there are any surefire superstars in this draft, but I think Chase Young's is about as close to a lock as you're going to get from mm-hmm. this class. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Um, another defensive end that I would like to talk about here, and again, this is a little bit of a personal bias. Chase Young obviously ranked number one for defensive ends in Athlon's magazine here. And for those of you wondering, I am officially using the Athlon NFL Draft 2020 guide. It is available on newsstands now. Just properly throwing that out there so that way I can plug them for the usage of their publication in order to do this show. Um yes. He is a potential sponsor. By the way, weren't commercials still supposed to have been a thing? Give me my 10%. Wait till I get my 10%. We'll work on it. We'll get we'll get back to you on that, Eric. Okay. Uh Yator Gross Matos, formerly of the Penn State University. The who what? Yator Gross Matos. Of the Penn State University. Tomatoes? A school that is no borrow a Jason. Beans and disease to you too. (laughs) (laughs) Jason, you're up here in this part of the country. You obviously know the name the university. Penn State is notorious for defensive players doing well in the NFL, even if it's more specifically at the linebacker position. And Matos led they're also notorious to have stop it stop it (laughs) saw that coming as soon as he started to say it well i mean obviously once you heard the rhythmic slapping sounds i mean what else could it be (laughs) it's like a ball of mac and cheese (laughs) fucking hate all of you i mean this is what you get for being a penn state fan Okay, then no, we can talk about. Because, uh, it's not because okay, it's been we... safe, man. I mean, it's just low hanging fruit, and I'm going to take advantage of it. Okay, fine, Eric. Then let's talk about somebody who absolutely ruined Miami's season last year in Jabari Zuniga from Florida. Oh, do we have to? God, turnabout is fair play, but. Mm. You're breaking some of my parts aside. I mean, I do have to give him credit, but again, it's one of those to where you would have to really get him more on the edge. So if the right team looking for an edge rusher, he's definitely worth a flyer. (sighs) My problem with Zuniga is my, 
my problem with Zuniga is injury prone. Um, there were 14 games for Florida last year. Zuniga played in six of them. Yeah, so you can't really expect him to play a lot of snaps, especially early on. Considered to be a quality early down player in a 4-3 defense, which I could buy because that was pretty much yeah. the setup in Florida, and it played to his strengths. All right, let's move away from the defensive end, and let's move over to defensive tackle. And the top of the class for defensive tackle is Derek Brown of Auburn, projected as a top five pick. Jason? Yes. Thoughts? He will be – he's projected to be a top five pick, yes. I think mm-hmm. – uh, I think – I actually think he might end up being the number four pick. Um, they, I, I don't know what's going to happen with that number four pick. Uh, I think it could be – could be interesting. I could think he goes high as four. But I think he definitely will be in the top eight. Eight will be the – the absolute lowest that he goes. So you don't see him fall to nine? No. I say I say that he is that eight uh eight will be the lowest he goes. And that's if the trades that are room uh that are currently being rumored do pan out and happen. Um and that's what Denver Denver moving up the the move up to get their wide receiver and um, a team slides back. Actually, um, Athlon has you guys taking Andrew Thomas, who we talked about a little bit earlier, the um, offensive lineman out of the University of Georgia at four. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think the honestly, I think Gettleman's going to trade back, and I don't think he's going to be. I don't think the Giants stay at four, so I don't think that that's going to be an option due to the Giants trading back and getting more draft capital. That's why I don't think that he's going to go go at four. Fair enough. Um, to complete the series here, since I don't have a dog in this fight. Athlon has you guys taking Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle, South Carolina, Eric. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Especially with the whole unnecessary, entirely avoidable, this is why I want to take a two-by-four to people at our front office situation with Ngakwe. I can see that. God, every single damn year, it seems. I don't get it. I don't get it. I think Kinlaw will be a good player at the next level, though. No, I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player. I'm just saying, could we not get into these sorts of situations where we have to draft someone like Kinlaw every year, it seems? True. It does happen a lot. And if it's not in, if it's not on the line, it's in the secondary. You say hello. Jalen Ramsey says goodbye. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How did that work out in L.A., Jalen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably about as well as it would have worked out in Jacksonville. Exactly. That money could have went farther. 
You could have got yourself a Brinks truck you could actually keep. No. No state no state income tax in Florida. True. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Let's move over to linebackers. The top ranked linebacker is Clemson's Isaiah Simmons, who is projected as a top ten pick. And to be perfectly blunt about it, in terms of the top in terms of the linebacking core at outside linebacker, there's not a whole lot else in terms of name name value. According to CBS, uh, the Giants are picking him at four. Inside linebacker has Kenneth Murray. Oh, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, that's that's who I have the Giants taking. Yeah. Um, if they, uh, unless they slide back uh, and, get, and get more draft capital. I think that they want to take a uh, – they missed out last year. I guess I could say that because I still think Daniel Jones could have got you could have Daniel Jones later on on in the draft, but I think that um, I think that they could have had a a nice uh, defensive anchor to build around, but I don't think they'll they'll do it twice. I think they'll get that defensive player to anchor anchor a young defensive squad that they can build around. And so they don't have to win shootouts. I think they're almost certainly either going with a linebacker or going with an offensive lineman. Either going with Simmons or going with yeah, an offensive that's, lineman. That's their, yeah, that's their, their, that's their two biggest needs. Yeah. In terms of inside linebackers, the highest-ranked prospect is Kenneth Murray out of the University of Oklahoma, followed by Patrick Queen out of LSU. Both are projected late first, early second. So the only projected actual uh, high high-level pick for a linebacker is Isaiah Simmons in the top ten. Uh, I'm not even going to try. Chase on of LSU. I think that Eric, is how you. I'm not trying his first name. K L K apostrophe L A V O N. Clavon. Wait, K apostrophe L A V O N or L A V E O N? L A V O N. Clavon. Yeah. 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 Clavon. Okay. Pretty sure the last name is pronounced Chason. I. Not a big LSU fan, obviously. Go Gators. So I can't say I watched a ton of their games this year except for the one that they beat us in and the national championship game. Bastards. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> moving oh, on here. The whole SEC, SEC chance that I keep hearing. <laughs> I mean, just because I support my conference doesn't mean I want my conference opponents to do well. But I thought conferences winning national championships helped the conference as a whole. Uh, Brandon, what conference are you in now? Yes, Shut I yes I, I I know this. I know this. I still don't like that okay. concept though. All right, moving into the secondary, I actually have a dog in this fight. C.J. Henderson is projected as a late first-round pick out of the University of Florida. The number one projected cornerback, though, is Jeff Okuda out of Ohio State, followed by Trayvon Diggs from Alabama. Man, a lot of Ohio State and Alabama up at the top of these lists. You'd almost think that those two schools were pretty good. You'd almost Mm -hmm. think those two schools were pretty good. Yeah. Almost. (laughs) 
Anyway, yeah, moving well, on. I mean, I think at least one of those schools doesn't have an extra national championship that they had no business winning. But you know what? I digress. <laughs> All right, let's continue. Uh, let's continue on here. In the secondary, is there anybody that stands out to any of you guys here? Because I'm looking over at the list here, and while personally I'm biased towards C.J. Henderson because he is a Gator. Uh, there are a couple of people who will go in the first round, but there isn't a game-changing quarterback in this corner or safety in this class. No, because it's not like anyone, again, is really outstanding, especially like some of those more deeper coverages. So it's just good. It, it, is Trayvon but, Diggs related to Stefan? I do not believe so although now i'm curious um he is the younger brother actually so, oh yes. stefan okay so that i think you know we've seen obviously on the other side of the ball but you know stefan has done very well in the nfl so i mean we talked about it earlier how that uh lineage may impact uh gm decisions but i think he certainly could be a guy that you know Stefan coming out, you know, was a solid prospect, but wasn't a top-notch guy that we talked about, you know, going, you know, coming into the NFL, but he's become one of the better wide receivers in the NFL, so that may be the same for Trayvon. Fair enough. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts on the overall secondary draft class for this year? Nobody, again, that's really blistering, but if anybody, I think Okuda's probably going to be the hottest name. Mm. Outside of that, it's like you've got a whole lot of good and very good, but nothing that's really great. Jason, anybody in particular that we haven't discussed from this class in the secondary that you might want to give a special shout-out to and talk about? Uh, the only other one is uh, Danzler, Dan Zingler out of Mississippi State. I mean, I think that he's going to be a late-round pick that is going to, going to pay dividends for a team that, um, that may just be taking, it, taking him for death but I think that he has the the talent to actually be a um, a contributor to whoever does landing. Uh, Cam Dantzler, Dantzler, excuse me, is projected as late second, early third. The tenth. Yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to be one of the one of the. Like I said, I don't think he's going to be a real game changer. But I think he's going to be that that uh, contributing factor that you can you can build a secondary around. That's uh, if I'm going to use a wrestling turn, it's going to be a good hand for your secondary. All right, I jokingly mentioned this guy earlier. I do stand by my statement. I think he will be a really good NFL kicker. I am referring to Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, Eric. This conversation has raged on for years. What would be the earliest round you would take a kicker in in the draft? Absolute, I would say fifth. 
I can't see myself getting going any earlier than the fifth round for a kicker. Jason? Mid. I, I would say earliest I would go was the latter half of the fourth, early fifth. Brandon. Yeah, I I would have to agree with Jason. Depending upon picks and what my team looked like, the earliest I would go would be late fourth. I don't think I could justify anybody kicker or puncher until at least the fifth round, maybe even the sixth. It would have to be a superstar talent in mm-hmm. order for me to even consider anything anything before that. But I'm talking like generational talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the only way I would even creep up into my last or like late in the fourth round is if I get some extra compensatory picks and I've got a couple others. But otherwise, no, I'm building a lot of key skill positions. And then, yeah, if there is a pretty hot, hot talent fifth round, I would try to jump at the chance. Last question before we get out of here, guys. You ready? Yeah. I'll ask Jason and Brandon together because they like the same team. What specifically do you want out of this draft for the New York Giants? Them to build... Offensive line and defensive help. Yeah, I would have to basically agree. What I was going to say was a good core to build around Daniel Jones... Um, and get more of a team going uh, for this team. I, I have one question after uh, Eric answers real quick. Nobody's going to ask me what I want out of the draft. Oh, well, okay. Fuck you guys go, go, Eric, well, Eric was doing Eric, it first. and then nope. Eric, Eric's next. Eric, what is the one thing you would want out of this draft for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Competence. Lots and <laughs> lots of competence. <laughs> I can't name one position because there's legit like four, but it's like I want to be able to wake up Sunday morning or go to bed Saturday night and be like, man, we didn't fuck this up. <laughs> okay, now you can, Brandon. Well, weren't you going to answer the question first? Yeah, you have to ask me okay. the question. Okay, fine. Uh,. What do you want the Bills? What do you want to see the Bills do in the draft? What do you hope to get out of it? Honestly, I already got what I wanted out of this draft, and that was a superstar wide receiver. True. True. And our first and our fourth round pick turned into that superstar wide receiver. So realistically speaking, depth. True. Yes. Yes. Uh, people that can hold down the fort in case injuries happen. And let's be honest, this is the National Football League. Injuries happen. So, one... Go ahead, Terry. Just, yeah, just my my big thing would be depth. Mm -hmm. So that way we have enough people to to circle the wagons on the (laughs) sideline in case the situation calls for them. All right. No one one circles the wagons like Buffalo. Well, after Brandon's question, uh, Harry, for you in particular, I have some pretty significant nuggets of hope. Oh. So... 
with the uncertainty of everything that's going on, I have a feeling we probably will get an NFL season of some kind. But do you think that uncertainty will impact any picks at all? No, because already the NFL has said if you want any sort of key day to look for for anything this season, it's May 9th. You may be wondering why May 9th. That is the latest day the NFL will announce the schedule for the 2020. National Football League season and there have already been contingency plans, any kind of pause, any kind of late start any kind of shortening already potentially built in so I have a feeling we may get multiple versions of that schedule we will get one where we have the full 256 game slate we will get one at least two, in my opinion, that will see something much, much shorter. GMs will already know that, and they've already been discussing that, as have owners. Harry or Jason, any thoughts? Repeat the question, please. Uh, what? Go ahead, Jason. Um. I don't think it's going to uh, impact any picks. I think we're going to have – I don't think this is going to impact the NFL season at all. Uh, I made the – I make the joke at work constantly because I do talk with people all over the states, uh, all over the United States. You know, I do get uh, various backgrounds of me. I just so happen to come across this one Alabama fan. Uh, me and him talked about two and a half hours just about college football, about, you know, things going on. And we made the, me and him both was laughing. We said if the college football season or the pro football season uh, is in question, you're going to see the cure come out of somewhere like uh, Alabama or LSU or, or some other SEC school uh, is going to come up with a cure to get everything back normal. Or you're going to see um, magically uh, – Bill Belichick come up with the cure to so he could uh, submit his legacy uh, without Brady just to prove that his haters wrong. Uh, yeah. So I do see that that's going to happen. I, I think that um, I think it's not really going to impact the the fall sports, um, but I won't get on my soapbox and speak my mind about everything going on. Uh, but I think it's going to be more of a um, a wait and see approach. I think you're going to see the the schedule released the first the first Tuesday of May is when I'm going to predict the schedule being released. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong here, Brandon. The question was: Is do I think the current situation with the coronavirus will have any kind of effect on how teams approach this draft? Yes. I'm going to say yes, but only slightly. I think that teams will be a little bit more likely to take a flyer on a player that they wouldn't have taken a flyer on mm. before with the potential that they might have extra time to work with that player before the season starts if, in case of a reduced schedule. That's exactly what I was thinking, where 
because of the uncertainty of if we're even going to get a full season, a team may be more willing to take a risk on a player that they like, but where in years past, if he didn't pan out, it may be a GM's job. But this year, if there isn't a full season, and even if there is, with the extenuating circumstances and with the fact that there aren't fans and stuff like that, owners may, I mean, this may not be true, I may just be completely shooting blanks here, but owners may be, uh, may be more lenient towards a bad pick this year because things are all wonky. I agree, and especially when you have some of the bigger market teams, look at what Governor Newsom said about California. Look at the mayors of New York City and mayors of Los Angeles. That's already starting to creep in uh, GM's minds as well as owners' minds because they're saying, hey, this is still a real and legit thing. And to kind of buffer Jason's point, yeah, if you're the NCAA, you just lost a billion dollars without March Madness. Now you've got as much as $4.1 billion on the line with college football. Something's eventually going to give. All right, do we have any right, other- and I want, I, Yeah, I want, I want to ask one closing closing part on my part. Uh, just a quick quick hit, just uh, yes, no, indifferent, whatever. If the college football season is canceled, do you see a – how much of a ripple effect do you see throughout the college landscape as in – university funding for other sports and university potentially it, it, it crippling universities as college football does produce about 70% of the revenue for most colleges. The other 30% being, you know, um, tuition, but a lot of, a lot of scholarships will be lost. And do you see the ripple effect of a, college football season canceled what do you think the i mean overall standpoint what do you think the ripple effect would be coming out of a canceled college football season i think it would probably give us what a lot of us may have been hoping for on but through negative means i think the only team i think the only programs that would survive would be the power five I've been I, de- I definitely. After Harry, go ahead because mine's a little bit more in depth. I definitely think we would see a lot of the smaller schools that are on the Division One level, the One A level, the F, F, FBS level. I guess technically. Uh, I definitely think that we we would see either of those programs either being cut altogether or at the very least uh, scaling down maybe back to FCS level or FCS programs dropping down to like D2 or D3 levels just due to the fact that I don't think a lot of those programs can have the same sustainability as they currently have without the income that football and even the men's basketball tournament draws in. Uh, The reason why I say it was in-depth is that you're both right. Take the University of Cincinnati. 
They have offered a men's soccer team since 1973. Goes back a little ways. That program is now gone just because of current financial cuts. Just because of current financial cuts. The group of five has written into the NCAA, your group of five conferences, and said, we need some sort of relaxation for the next four years for Title IX requirements. This is as of just right now. A lot of your Power Five schools would survive. And if college football wants to even keep anything close to as is, the current TV football contract will be set on fire and you're going to get an immediate renegotiation for an expanded playoff. There are some Power Five athletic directors who are already saying, if worse comes to worst, this season's gone. When we come back, we right away look at going to 16. Something major and something potentially permanent is going to come out of this if we would see the first college football season non-existent since 1871. Weren't some of the college schools, weren't some of the colleges, uh, most of the college football things pulled during like World War I and World War II, though? Yes, the only season since Princeton and Rutgers first squared off in August of 1869, that famous 6-4 to four game, the only season where there has not been any sort of college football played or scheduled was 1871. Even through the World Wars, there's been college football. Wow. Hmm. I always uh-huh. learn something the show with him. <laughs> always. You're, you're uh, welcome. We want- and now... For my nugget of hope when you're done. All right. Well, go ahead and give your nugget because I was just about to go to the big finish. So, uh, There's been odds that have come out. 14 oh, the... win total. Oh, you mean the fact that the Bills are the favorites in the AFC East this year in Vegas? Yes. I have heard about that, and to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about it because I think that when you have a team that is relatively inexperienced, as Buffalo is in terms of big game experience, I think that that kind of having that kind of look ahead could be bad, you know? Well, but, well, but here's the rub. This is a little bit of the ripple effect. There were three teams mentioned in particular that I saw caught my eye and that were mentioned in the blurb. Tampa Bay, their highest opening win total since 2003. They're at nine. New England, their lowest opening win total since 2002. They're at eight and a half. Buffalo is at one of those two totals. Take care to take a guess at which one uh nine you're correct nine and you are also correct a plus 100 to win the division 
I don't dislike Buffalo's chances to win the AFC East this year, but a lot of things still have to go right. We'll talk more about that, and we'll actually talk about how things have changed in terms of the NFL draft when we do our draft review here in two weeks. Well, a week and a half. Not this Thursday, the following Thursday. Uh, do we want to discuss what we have planned for this week, or do we want to let it be a surprise in case it doesn't happen so it's a surprise if it does? Um, well, let it be a surprise, because I've got multiple potential things. We are working on something the kickoff has never done for this week, for a show for this week. If it happens... You'll be able to hear it. You'll be able to listen to us as we do so. If it does not happen, we will explain the idea behind it when we join you for our NFL draft review. Jason, where can people our, find you on? And our backup plan. <laughs> oh, we also have uh, Greatest of All Teams coming up soon, too. Don't forget to throw mm-hmm. out a plug. I got to throw out a plug for that as well. Oh, so the other backup plan, all a bunch of ideas that, especially given recent events, one of them is actually ripe for the picking now. The poor XFL. Jason, where can people find you online? Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at TurkerGlue822. Um, yeah, uh, with the draft coming up, uh, you're going to see a lot more activity on that uh, with, you know, my fantasy football uh, questions and uh, polls being put up. So if you are a fantasy football uh, participant, uh, since we don't have one here at the W2M Network, you can always hit me up and we'll be able to, uh, um, I'll be able to, uh, you know, give you what advice uh, that I do have. We can run some polls. You know, if uh, you're seeing a trade that, you know, you're kind of on the fence about, Shoot me a message. Uh, we'll look over everything, and you know I'll give you the best best advice possible, and uh, get you that uh, fantasy football title, and hopefully win you some money this year. To be fair, we have participants. It's just getting participants to put together a show. Different animal. Well, y- you know. Brandon, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me online at uh, on Twitter at Bisco underscore Gotham SN and uh, on Facebook, just my name, Brandon Biscobing. And uh, yeah, it, if you guys were watching the uh, the that March 2K20, the March Madness stuff, they got shut down initially, but now they're bringing it back. Uh, they got everything squared away. And I'll be calling some of the games, so be sure to check out that on YouTube as well. Just don't use any registered trademarks. You call it March Madness, and you're off the team! (laughs) Yep. Uh, I don't know, third month insanity. How does that sound? Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Call it Parch Gladness. Because it's 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 whetting our appetites for actual actual basketball. Yep. Man, if I would have stuck the landing on that joke, that would have been a quality reference. All right, moving on. You still get an eight point five from the Caribbean judge. In in fairness, the Caribbean judge smokes a lot, so he's generous. Eric, where can people find you on? 
Uh, at Squid Sports Head on Twitter, and honestly, given the recent rise of everything and with the fact of my availability, you may want to stay tuned because I might be live tweeting some different esports events that I've seen that I've liked, and I will call out proper networks for having ones that suck. So stay tuned for that. And on Facebook, if you're looking for especially tutoring advice in general, as we are brought to you by Rick's TNT LLC, yeah, hit me up, Eric Watkins. Just be careful because there's three of me. If you see the one with the cartoon guy wearing Jaguars gear, sitting in a recliner, drinking a glass of wine next to a pile of laundry, you've got the right guy. You should really get on that laundry, man. <laughs> Look, my washing machine can only do so much. You know how much of a bitch it is to wash two mattress covers and two pillows at the same time? What else have you had to do these last couple of weeks? Anyway. Tutor. <laughs> that's true. You are still kind of active doing that, especially... Probably even more so now that it's everybody being homeschooled. Uh, H-E-B the Eagle on H-E-B the Eagle on Twitter. Admittedly, I barely use it, but shoot me a message and I'll respond. More than likely, you're going to find me through Facebook, uh, Harry Broadhurst. Uh, you can find me on Messenger, facebook.com backslash H-E-B the Eagle. I'm pretty much that everywhere that has a social media presence. That's my name on that particular platform. Whether or not I use it is entirely <laughs> discretionary, but I am that on most platforms. I think that wraps us up yeah. for this episode. Yeah, I'm not that on most platforms, but again, you have to go through a strict vetting process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a real point of viewer there, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get that back going. <laughs> For Jason Teasley, Brandon Biscabing, and Eric Watkins, I'm Harry Broadhurst. This has been the kickoff 2020 NFL Draft Preview Edition. We are a presentation of the W2M Network. We are online at w2mnet.com. In addition, you can listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting services, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox. Hey, Brandon, guess what? Spotify is here. And Mark Lamping is sick. You stepped on my merit joke, you asshat. Look, I had to get it out there for this. Seriously. You know know what? On on behalf of Trent Williams as well, Daniel Snyder's a dick. Don't go there, Chase. You'll never recover. (laughs) Don't come here either as much as we could use you. He can (laughs) come to the Giants. (sighs) Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you guys the next time we see you.